Eureka Springs is a little tourist town nestled in the Ozark Mountains. Population, just over 2,000, not counting the supernatural folk. The town is a hotbed of paranormal activity and has been for as long as people have lived here. Guess they can thank the mystical energy from underground springs for that. All manner of monsters seem drawn to it. When bad things happen that normal folk can't explain, I look into it. My name is Vincent Van Getty. By day, I'm a newspaper reporter for the Lovely County Record. By night, I'm a paranormal investigator looking into all things that go bump in the... Well, you know. It's season three of Ozark Whispers, so if you're just tuning in, go check out seasons one and two. These episodes will be here when you get back. people get sick, assuming they have decent insurance, they make a trip to the doctor. If it's bad enough, the hospital. But last week, I finally figured out where supernatural folk go when they get sick or injured in Eureka Springs. What investigation led me to this? <laughs> well, someone tried to kill me, and I found out firsthand what Eureka's paranormal healthcare is like. And thanks to the fact that now I'm a card-carrying member of the spooky society, things got a little interesting. I've been the Autumn Champion for a little more than a month now. While I'm still technically human, I have fey magic flowing through me at all times, which means, for all intents and purposes, I am a fey. I'd been learning a few little spells here and there thanks to Avalon's patient tutorials, but I am no mage. I do good to investigate magic stuff without being a magical being myself. My spells are fairly limited. I could make light, I could call a little rain shower that would last for about 10 minutes, Oh, and I could summon Pi. That's exactly what it sounds like. One day I was incessant during my lesson with Avalon because I'd skipped breakfast, so she taught me a spell to summon a very basic blueberry pie. I don't know where it comes from. But it would appear in my right hand, hot and fresh, as if from the oven. But those spells don't really help you when you're targeted by the champion of another fake court, like I was last week. I just returned to Eureka with a new assignment from Queen Fulmar. The niece of one of her court nobles had gone missing in Eureka Springs, and since that was an area I knew better than any other servant, I was tasked with finding her. The missing fae's name was July, which I knew better than to make fun of because my queen was all-powerful and had a little sense of humor. Most fae love jokes, riddles, stories, etc., but there must have been some unspoken rule that their rulers were stoic and enjoyed none of that merriment. With some help from the Eureka Springs Police Department of all groups, I learned there'd been a fight between a homeless man and a woman with long purple hair outside of Tanya's Pizza a couple nights ago. After talking to the bartender and a few other people there that night, one person finally admitted they saw the girl get stabbed. But by the time police arrived, both individuals were gone. The one thing that everyone seemed to recall about the girl was her hair just seemed so vibrant and natural. It seemed to draw everyone's eyes, and it looked like no dye job they'd ever seen. And believe you me, Eureka Springs folks are no strangers to dye jobs. 
What this told me was the girl was actually Faye. All Faye have something about them that makes them stand out. They're known for their grace and unnatural beauty, but they have at least one detail that seems to be so beautiful, it's magical. It might be a perfect smile, unavoidable eyes, or maybe hair so sleek and natural, it's all you can remember. Honestly, this is the one surefire way to spot a Faye trying to pass for a human. If you remember one standalone factor about their appearance that you just can't put out of your mind, they were likely Faye. I was heading back to my car when the champion of the Spring Fay Court took a hit. His name is Suna, and he came at me with a sawed-off shotgun at point-blank range. The only warning I got was from Solosia, who I'd actually managed to convince to stay in the car. His bark told me something was coming, and I just had enough time to turn around and see a bald, homeless-looking man approaching me with a raggedy brown coat and torn jeans. After the second bark, I noticed the firearm in his hands a Remington Model 870 pump-action shotgun. I had just barely had enough time to reach into my pocket and grab my car keys before he felt close enough to pull the trigger. I tossed them wildly and tried to dive out of the way. Sure, the keys hurt like hell when I touched them, just like anything else that had iron in it. But the same rules would apply to him as well, the stupid fate jerk. The keys actually struck his face, and there was a little bit of smoke. He jerked as he was hit, and the gun, well... It still fired, but maybe it didn't hit me as bad as it would've. I flinched, both from getting shot and the loud boom that echoed across Cushing Street where I'd parked. They don't show this in the movies often, but guns are loud. Very loud. I hit the ground about five feet back from where I'd been standing and looked down at the ground, where my blood was pooling. Everything on my left side hurt, and when I slowly moved my gaze down to that side of me, I saw a chunk of my flesh was missing, just under my ribs. I remember hearing glass shatter and thinking Solosia had broken out the window of my car. There may have been even a snarl as he chased off the spring champion. It was hard to think with all this pain radiating up and down my left side. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Where were my lungs again? Were they in the blast zone? And as I lost consciousness, the last thing I remembered was feeling and hearing a strong gust of wind. I don't know when or how I came to. I do remember hearing before I was seeing anything. There was a steady beeping sound nearby. Eventually, I opened my eyes and things were bright and blurry because I'd been staring at the ceiling under fluorescent lights. So I turned my neck sideways and tried to wait for my vision to clear. Oh lord, the smell of a sanitized room with chemicals filled my nostrils. I was lying on my back and under a red scratchy blanket. I looked over to my left and found a monitor with my heart rate on it. I was in a hospital. That much became clear to my brain, which, like my mouth, felt like it was flooded with cotton. The bars on the left side of my hospital bed were down. I raised the blanket slowly with my right hand and looked at the bandaged wound. Large bandage. Lots of medical tape. Something told me I didn't even want to see what it looked like until the doc told me I could remove the bandages. Even then, I might not want to. Looking around, I noticed I was in a small private room. Oh boy, my newspaper insurance plan wasn't going to like the charges that came from this. I imagined I wouldn't either. The room had white tile floor, a small table and chair to my left, each made of what looked like the most uncomfortable wood. There's no television or windows, I muttered. Not even a phone. What kind of retro hospital had I been sent to? Could the little hospital in Eureka Springs handle a gunshot wound? Or would I have been sent to Fayetteville? I looked for a little button to call a nurse, but there wasn't one. I also made note there wasn't a shaggy Samoyed in the room with me. 
There's no way Solosia would have let anyone separate me from his side. Queen Fomar had given him explicit orders to follow me everywhere but the crapper. And even then, he stayed right outside the door, especially after I slipped into a separate world from the bathroom on New Year's Eve. It took me a minute or two to find my voice. I was parched, though not in pain anymore, at least. There was no table or plastic cup of water around, so I called out for a nurse. Politely, of course. When nobody came, I listened closer. The hallways were really devoid of any noise. And I began to feel a flutter in my gut. This was how The Walking Dead started, right? With a man waking up in an abandoned hospital? Looking over to my right, I noticed an IV with a nearly empty bag of blood. I guess I bled out a little bit. It would make sense I needed a transfusion. What didn't make sense was the blood was blue. And icy blue, to be exact. Ah, oh, that is just too weird for me, I muttered. As a paranormal investigator, I was used to weird. But I kept the weird outside of my body. This was like a sack of weird that had been dripping into my veins for the last... who knows how long. The weird was in me now. I guess it sort of had been since I'd taken on the gig of Autumn Champion, but good grief. I sighed and slowly disconnected myself from the tube, awkwardly hanging it up by the sack. I checked to make sure I wasn't bleeding, and then slowly moved my legs over to the side of the bed. Taking a deep breath, I placed them on the ground and sat up for what felt like the first time in days. My left side had a dull ache that protested me moving around so soon. Blaine Suma, I told my aching body. Standing up took a few tries, but eventually I got it, and I stretched my arms and legs out, slowly and cautiously, as I waited for my body to let me know it didn't like that. I hobbled over to the door and looked around for a nurse's station. There wasn't one, just a long hallway with closed doors on each side. This was weird. Where had I been taken? I went back into my room and found a change of clothes under my bed. There wasn't much, just a pair of cargo shorts and a Boston Celtics t-shirt that looked like it was from the 80s. Well, I'm more of a Grizzlies fan, but eh, I muttered as I carefully slid the shirt on, trying to make sense of where I was. A pair of simple black and white tennis shoes was next to the box with clothes in it. I laced them up and meandered out into the hallway again. I had to find someone to tell me where the hell I was and what was going on. I walked for about 10 minutes, just going around random corners, looking for stairs or elevators or another body. There was nothing, just more empty hallways filled with white tile and fluorescent light. It was then I began to realize this hospital wasn't normal. There was something paranormal at work here. So to recap, I was looking for a missing fae named July. The spring Fay court champion, Suma, had taken a chunk out of my side with a sawed-off shotgun, and I was now in some sort of maze hospital with no medical staff. Who the hell had bandaged me up? I decided to take a risk and wander into one of the rooms on my left. I was beginning to feel claustrophobic with no windows, elevators, or stairs around. So I kept my breathing calm and lifted up on the latch to open the heavy wooden door. You know hospitals always have those weird flat metal latches for door handles. I'm sure there was a medical reason for their existence, but I had no clue. Maybe the Velociraptors couldn't figure out how to open them. The room had an empty bed, and was otherwise the exact same as mine. Little table and chair off to the side. No television, no phone, no windows. I tried several more rooms, all the while calling out for anyone. They were all empty, and nobody came to my aid. I walked into what must have been my tenth room, and came upon a sight I wasn't expecting. In place of a hospital bed, there was a giant fish tank, 
huge, big enough to hold a few grown men. The lights in the room were off, but the tank had blue glowing lights inside from some kind of pearls. The tank had these giant rubber gray wheels on the bottom, and inside was a mermaid. We're not exactly talking like Ariel here with Flounder and Sebastian. In real life, mermaids are a little more fishy, though still truly beautiful creatures. This mermaid had large fins near her arms and gills on her shoulders. Long black hair floated around her face as her glowing yellow eyes spotted me. She smiled, revealing several sharp teeth that would make a shark flinch in fear. Her entire chest and stomach were covered in what appeared to be seaweed-like bandages. Her tail, which started just a little above the hips, was comprised of glistening purple scales and ended in a large translucent fin the same shape as a dolphin's. Well, well, look what showed up, she said, speaking with an unusually clear tone I was surprised to hear through the glass and water. This wasn't the first mermaid I'd come across, but my cotton brain finally managed to remember. They had some sort of resonance ability that cut through water, so those nearby could hear them communicate just fine. Guess they had to talk underwater somehow. The mermaid introduced herself as Azerna, resident of Lake Leatherwood, where I knew there was actually a small community of freshwater mermaids. The lake sits in the north part of Eureka. You just didn't see the mermaids often because they kept it themselves. For her to also be in this hospital confirmed my suspicions. This was a treatment center for supernatural folk. The irony hit me full steam at once. If I hadn't had the supernatural endurance of fame magic inside of me, I likely wouldn't have survived the shotgun blast. Of course, if I hadn't been infused with fame magic in the first place, I wouldn't have been shot by the spring champion, freaking Soma. Azerna quickly informed me she wasn't the most innocent fish in the sea. She'd spilled blood before, which made me a little antsy. But confined to her tank, there wasn't much she could do to me, right? I needed information on what sort of situation I'd gotten myself into, and she needed someone to help her escape this hospital. I asked what landed her here in the first place, and she informed me it was the blood she spilled, shortly before her own blood was spilled. Apparently Lake Leatherwood houses a legendary rainbow trout that's said to bring good luck. The mermaids consider this trout, which goes by the name Equius, to be the reincarnation of a sea goddess that will one day free them from the lake and lead them to larger waters. I'd never actually heard the myth before, but apparently a few local fishermen had. So they set out to catch the slippery little guy once in a while. But Equius is wise and never takes the bait. Go figure, being a goddess reincarnation and all. But one of the boaters must have gotten lucky with their net, or Equius was having a really bad day, and the trout was snatched up by two local fishermen. Azerna witnessed this and rushed to the fish's aid. In a fit of rage, she yanked one of the fishermen overboard and drowned him in the water. That actually lined up with the story Thomas wrote at the paper a day ago about a drowned fisherman washing up on shore. His partner made headlines by claiming a sea monster took him. Sea monster. Lake Leatherwood. Eureka Springs. you think that would be a little uncommon, but it's not the most weird headline to grace our newspaper. I'd been meaning to actually look into the incident when Queen Formar called. Priorities, you know? Gotta answer the boss. Azerna continued her tale and said she leapt into the boat and tossed Equius to safety from the net. But as she did so, the remaining fishermen slashed her real good down her entire backside. She slapped him unconscious with the last of her strength. 
and when we'd interviewed the man, he had a big gash on the side of his skull. Mermaid tails are fierce. The muscles in them are stronger than the leg muscles of a horse. When most people think of a mermaid, they think of an attractive, part fish woman. A few people turn them into bloody monsters with sharp teeth, and that much is accurate to their imagination. But the mermaid tails are the real weapons. They can slam hard enough to shatter bone, even underwater. Mermaids are fierce hunters. Ariel and Flounder be damned. Azerna didn't have enough strength to re-enter the water, and she lost consciousness in the boat. When she woke up, she was in the hospital all bandaged up. What is this place? I remembered asking her before she smiled, which when combined with the razor teeth and glowing eyes made for a quite maddening sight in the darkened hospital room lit only by glowing pearls. Well, my little fay, that's really the big question, isn't it? She said, laughing. The first image my mind spawned upon hearing her laugh was drowning blue jays. It was a disturbing and oddly specific image, given that I'd never heard it before. And yet, mermaids are dangerous creatures. They really do mostly keep to themselves, but when they get involved with any humans, they're terrifying. She was not playing on my team, and I needed to remember that. I could leave. I thought it over and over again in my head. She had to stay in the tank. I couldn't be arrogant enough to think I had power over her just because she lacked mobility. Azerna was deadly, and I'd be making a terrible mistake to trust any thoughts of macho moments overpowering her. I'd been smart enough to remain about eight feet away from her tank thus far, but I knew if she really wanted to, and I was close enough, she could smash her tail through the glass and shatter my skull. It'd be an instantaneous kill, and sure, she would die once all the water ran out, but that's the scorpion and the mouse scenario for you. Fatal was in her nature. Oh, mortal. It seems you've already struck a fey bargain. Perhaps you'll strike one more with me, Azerna said, revealing that smile again as bubbles floated around her hair in the water. I took a deep breath. How badly did I need her? Could I leave? Yes. Would I come across someone else a little safer in another room? Who knows? I might not even be able to find my way back to this room if I left. All the hallways and doors were identical, and even if I find another patient in this hospital of horrors, they might be even more dangerous. Suppose I came across a vampire. They didn't need a tank of water to survive. They could just murder me. Azerna was the only lead I had unless I wanted to gamble. And you know what? I was tired. Getting shot and almost dying is an exhausting experience. I was pale and hungry. I just didn't have the strength to gamble. So I looked into her yellow glowing eyes and told her I was ready to strike a bargain. She would tell me everything she knew about our predicament. In exchange, I would help her escape. Azerna did not explicitly state she knew how to escape. That might be on me. In fact, I was willing to bet it was. Sighing, I swore that I would take her out of here with me releasing a murderer back into the water to do who knows what to other unfortunate souls on Lake Leatherwood. Most of the supernatural community in Eureka knew not to mess with humans. Not too much, anyway. Eureka Springs is a tourist town. We make our money on people coming to the quaint little Victorian village for a charming weekend in the mountains, or to do some shopping. Monsters killing people would wreck that, so they typically avoided that scenario. But the mermaids in Lake Leatherwood weren't really part of town, they were left to their own devices. I don't even know if a ranger had ever been up here to deal with them before. Being mostly underwater, when a mermaid did something wrong, you had to enter their element to handle the situation. And even the most skilled rangers didn't want to do that. 
We've entered the endless hospital, filled with phantom physicians, as Erna said, letting that evil smile fade from her face. It was replaced by a look of frustration. I'd never heard of the endless hospital before. But what she told me next made sense. About a century ago, a powerful witch in town opened a hospital for the supernatural community of Eureka Springs. It's not something you think of often. Where do monsters go when they get sick? Can't typically go to a human hospital. Then the normal humans would learn the truth about monsters pretty quick. And we just can't have that, no matter how normal Laurel K. Hamilton makes it seem in her novels. The witch's clinic worked great, until a smallpox pandemic hit the town, and folks started dying. Leadership in Eureka apparently grew desperate and sought out a scapegoat. They might not have known about all the monsters in the clinic, but that vague witchy woman who opened up a hospital for shifty folks that came out after dark, that was the perfect target. Townsfolk got worked up into a frenzy and burned the hospital to the ground, patients and healers inside. Azurna left out any horrifying revenge details, probably because she wanted to remain on my side. And she was one of the beasties of the world. When humans get stupid and unknowingly attack a monster, the repercussions were always severe. I had an imagination, and I bet the remains of those responsible for the fire are scattered across Carroll County. But the strange thing about the hospital is it didn't vanish when the witch who created the spell died. She summoned it into existence, and when it burned to the ground, killing her and several other patients and healers, there was no one to unsummon the hospital. So it remained in the shadows of Eureka, this little pocket dimension of existence that grew to reflect the level of technology and medical skill found in the human Eureka Springs Hospital. It evolved. And when an individual of the paranormal community was severely wounded and lost consciousness in city limits, they got snatched up by the ghost of a healer who perished in the fire and taken to this hospital. That's apparently where the story had good news and bad news. The good news is, if you made it to the hospital, you were likely to live, as the shadow physicians would patch you up with all the skills of a current human doctor, with the added benefit of supernatural anatomy they'd gained over a hundred years of treating wounded beasties. The bad news? Once you entered the hospital, there was no guarantee you could leave. Sure, you could wander around aimlessly in the maze-like corridors, but there was no obvious exit. Maybe some folks made it out, but Azerna had never known them. I hadn't either. So when I got blasted to high hell, one of these healer spirits sensed I was essentially a fae, and brought me to the monster hospital, where they patched me up and gave me a transfusion of fae blood. I shivered again, thinking of the blue blood sack that was in my room. That's what I know, little fae. Now it's your turn. Time to work your magic and get us out of here. Come close, mortal. You'll find my tank can be moved, and I promise not to bite, she said, that smile creeping in again. Could I leave her here now that I had her information? Sure. She couldn't follow me, but she had trusted me. She probably only trusted me because she viewed me as a beastie like herself. But that was some level of trust nonetheless, and I'd sworn an oath to help her. My word wasn't just my bond. Now that I was magical, my word was more than that. Being honor-bound meant something to magic users, and if you broke your word, bad things would happen to you. Fate would see to it. Just another benefit of joining the Fae Club, I muttered, walking over to her tank. I grabbed a wooden bar handle, and went to maneuver her carefully out of the room without spilling any water. I was in her tail death range now. I had no choice but to figure out how to get us out of this hospital. And if that wasn't enough, I still had to find July. 
no rest for the wicked, or the people who investigate them. Azerna turned and pressed her face up against the glass, her biggest smile yet. If she killed me in the endless hospital, where did I go? Did my spirit stay trapped here like the shadow healers? I shivered at the thought. It's just best not to find out.